I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And this is Round Springfield. We did it. Um, For those of you just tuning in, this is a new Simpsons adjacent podcast. Absolutely. You know us from our previous Simpsons-centric podcast, (laughs) Um, but this is our new rebranding, and we are so excited. We've already had so many great conversations with Simpsons writers and voiceover actors and, you know, other people from the Simpsons verse about non-Simpsons things that they have done, because surprise, surprise, they are all talented and accomplished in their own rights, and today's guest is no exception to that. You know him because he is a former showrunner of The Simpsons and a writer, uh, producer extraordinaire of many other things that I'm sure you love. And he's also, I want to say this is the fourth time yes. you've appeared. I, I, love, <laughs> I love, this is my favorite thing yeah. to do. Seriously, like yeah. it's a highlight of we every year that you. I do oh, it. Good. It's like that's... Dis- Wait, but who is it? Oh, oh, it's sorry. me. Oh, it's me. It's, so it's me. Also, yeah. I'm probably one of the most Simpsons adjacent Simpsons person because we haven't. I left the show 20 years ago, right. so I've been very adjacent. Yeah, it's true. But your IMDb is stacked. You've got a lot of great shows on there that we'll get into. Oh, so yeah. you know, I think that also like the the content of of what you've done since The Simpsons has felt very you know tangential to The Simpsons. Like it, there's a yes, a it's always DNA. Or, it always a DNA is a good way yeah. to say it. Or orbiting around. Yeah. Especially a, a show that Matt Groening has also had his hands in, which is just right. That's, of course. that's pretty Simpsonsy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like so the, the orbit around Matt Groening, like we keep getting pulled. Right. That back seems in, to be the case. So. I mean, we've had a lot of conversation. We oh, and this is also we'll get to like what it, what it's like to leave the Simpsons because that's part of absolutely that's part of this conversation. Well, actually, can we start there? Yeah, is that if, we absolutely can. Although I kind of am curious about what were you like as a child. Oh, okay. Did Let's, you did you write pretty early on? <laughs> Oh, my God. Let's do that. This, Let's back okay, up there. This, I will be so brief because that's my kids find this hilarious because we found my parents move. I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. with with Bill Oakley. And my parents just moved from Virginia to out here. So they had like 30 boxes of stuff, that of including stuff of mine. And mm-hmm. I was going through boxes and I found stuff I wrote when I was a kid and it sucked. <laughs> And I showed my kids, and they're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Tell us and it was about really, it. There was some – the only thing I remember is some story about some family called the Stupids. And it, it was probably some deep psychological thing coming out for me. But it was awful. It was poorly written, and it wasn't funny, and it didn't make sense. The Stupids and, is a great name, and, though. Uh, yeah, that was good. That's and, good. And then that was a movie later that Brent Forrester wrote. Right. Who, uh, who Did you sue him? Experience. No, but I, it's a long, it's a long lawsuit. Um, we should say court. that our number one enemy on this podcast is Brent Forrester. So you oh, really? Him. No, 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 no. Only because he hasn't he done hasn't the show done yet. He hasn't so. done the show. You got it. He's such a good talker. I like, gather, he, yeah. He yeah. does a lot of really great talks at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Theater, which is very close to where we're recording right now. It's a, a comedy theater in L.A. And, um, you know, he, he's a very knowledgeable, wise man. What, maybe one day we'll get over our uh, imaginary beefs. Yeah, since we have this on air, can you set it up? <laughs> yeah, Brent, do it. Great. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen Brent in 20 years. Yeah. But, yeah, come we on, should, you owe me, Brent. We should put on a show where you guys are reintroduced. Oh, yeah. like this is your life, but this is your friend. Or it's kind of like when a, like a... a 
tiger that used to know a like adventurer like they reconnect yeah. 20 years later and it's like they still remember each other yeah I forgot that like <laughs> weird Vegas special of Sigmund and Roy where they reunited with the tiger that mauled oh, them yeah. it's like wow that, that was our episode Springfield too yes. where we predicted, oh, yeah. the, predicted the mall <laughs> oh yeah but, how many Simpsons predictions have you clocked personally that one and also the crazy 9-11 one oh which yeah is so, That's which crazy. is the like this, the, the bus quick, 22nd tangential thing that was such a coincidence because Bill and I was one of Bill and my episodes written by Ian Maxstone Graham. Homer versus the city of New York. Yeah. And there was an ad because you know the car was stuck between the world trade buildings. And so we got a design for an ad for the bus route. That saying a bus to New York, and we thought nine dollars was a really funny price. Yeah, <laughs> and we said also we'll put the world trade in the background in silhouette because that's where the story is taking place. <laughs> and so on the flyer that the Simpsons got, it looked like it said nine. 11. Yeah. But it's just, it's a horrible, unfortunate yeah. coincidence. <laughs> we but, just live in a simulation. That's uh, all. Yeah. yeah. But I remember so, seeing, seeing like, at least on Reddit, like, the Simpsons predicted yeah, 9-11. I, I was like, I dear Lord. 60 to 70% of those are total coincidences. And by a couple, like the the Lisa Trump thing, are kind of like that by Dan Graney. Those are kind of pressured. That's, yeah. But that's because mm-hmm. you have your finger on the pulse of culture a little ahead of culture. Yeah. But anyway. So what you're saying is that the Simpsons writers are not a part of the Illuminati. <laughs> I wish. Culture. Because if we were part of the Illuminati, then I would not be ta- here today talking about the 20 different things right, I've worked right. on. You'd be in some sort of like yeah, Hilton in, adjacent to Vegas yeah, with you know, the, the, co- the, the remaining se- Koch brothers. Yeah, I'd be with the Koch brothers in their cat secret castle. But, but anyway. So, so but you anyway, wrote, Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I... My writing sucked as it was <laughs> subpar, and it wasn't until high school when I met Bill Oakley and we started a humor magazine. And we discovered that we were both huge fans of humor and comedy and like National Lampoon and all that sort of thing. And that's where I think like we got a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. And that's like where my writing. What improved. was the name of the humor magazine? It was called, we went to a school called St. Albans, which is a old line like prep school mm-hmm. in DC, and it was called the Alban Antic. Um, oh, we originally wanted to call it Happy Hour, but um, the headmaster was a big freaking tight ass, fought it connoted drinking, which it did, because yeah. my friends and I drank a lot. <laughs> um, but so we, couldn't, but we called it Albanantic. But anyway, that gave us a lot of practice because we not only wrote the magazine, we like had to publish it and print it and lay it out. And anyway, that was like the first like hands on. Yeah, that's like your experience. early funnier die to like yeah. practice comedy ideas to it, an audience. It, so far, I think because I believe David X. Cohen also had a humor magazine in high school that he was working on that kind of ignited his his love of comedy. And so, Josh, we've talked about this in your other appearances, uh, so we don't have to stay on it too long. But something we're curious about is just kind of the the emotional feeling of being on The Simpsons, especially when you came in already a huge fan, yeah. and there being kind Kind of a misunderstanding, if I'm remembering, of like like what the term story editor means. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. we, we were so <laughs> ignorant. Like we had worked on a, a couple of like shows for comedy, the early days of Comedy Central, but never worked on a sitcom before. And so we were like, oh, we're going to get hired as story editors. That's great. But then we're like, oh my god, we're going to be editing the stories. <laughs> we're going to be editing Jim Brooks. Like right. that. that uh, what's going to happen? Yeah. And we were like really terrified. But we had no idea. That interesting thing is in America. 
America, that's just a title. Right. But like in England, the a story editor is actually a very important person who does do that on shows and does. And in kids' animation, it's a little bit different yeah. too. They're essentially like the head writer. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's true in anime, but we didn't. On The Simpsons, it's just like you're. You start on whatever level, and you every season you work your way mm-hmm. up. But yeah, so we were like, uh oh. But then we were like, we don't have any responsibility, but we're we're plonked into this pantheon of the comedy gods, right? Mm-hmm. And that was super overwhelming for like probably three months until like we. But they were so it's such like a democracy and such like a kind of comedy commune. Like everybody's welcoming, and so you're not like unlike a lot of shows, you're not intimidated at all, except. That the fact that you're in the presence right. of these most hilarious people ever. Right. So it took a while for it. Like once we pitched, and I remember like once I got Sam Simon to laugh at a joke and I was like, okay, <laughs> we're not going to be fired. Yeah. I, I'm curious about, because it seems like you hear a lot of stories and, and Ali and I both experienced this sort of life or death, you know, part of working as a TV writer because, you know, you could work on certain shows where every word you pitch is scrutinized and they're just sort of like holding the door open for you to escape or they're a little bit more relaxed. Would you say that the Simpsons environment was a little bit more on one side or the other? Or did you see people not working out in the writer's room and being, you know, kicked out? You could, well, it's interesting because I could see people not working out in a writer's room, but two things. It was such like a literally almost laid back environment. Like we sat around beat up old sofas <laughs> yeah. on a coffee table littered with like Butterfinger BBs. And it was like, it was it's so. Because you got a dump truck full of them. Yeah, I we imagine. did. Yeah. And they were awful. So they lasted for years. <laughs> really are. But they they get better with time, though. They do. Yeah. They're like a fine wine. Yeah, did we already talked the about the clump of Butterfingers yeah. on the ceiling. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but um, it was, it's a nerdy commune yeah and so everybody's just after like the best joke it's very relaxed but you could see some people weren't good at pitching jokes but it's sort of like what i love about the simpsons too and i think it instilled in everybody who left there is like some people aren't great in in a group of people but they might be the best script writer they might be the best joke writer i've seen all that sort of thing so like i think there were some people it was more sensibility where the person then was not renewed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. For example, Simon Rich is one of my very favorite writers, and I wouldn't describe him as particularly, at least in a setting of doing a podcast, not particularly like boastful or boisterous and uh, really like gregarious and outgoing. But I already know for a fact he's one of the funniest people that exists because yeah. he makes some of the funniest yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's interesting that in a writer's room you kind of tend to want to have both like you, you have really, to you yeah. really do and you want it just to be comfortable enough to be like i get like every day i get i will be nervous before i pitch a joke yeah and i'm running a show yeah. and it's like <laughs> but it's like but it's like it's so it's just as long as everyone's like relaxed and supportive mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if you've been on the show three years or three months if you have an environment like that, then that's great. And that's why The Simpsons right. is so good. Yeah. And and I think something that we really are interested in learning through Round Springfield versus just um, the dissection of each great joke on uh, Everything's Coming yeah. Up Simpsons is, you know, at what point, if ever, does a writer, despite having worked on the best show ever, feel confident all the time? And usually the answer is it's just that's not how it is like you always have some level of right you're always nervous but that's a thing we can talk about too it's like you have to be you have to be confident and it's like the simpsons being on the simpsons for years will lull will lull you 
out of that. Really? Because it's like it's a, such a comfortable job and it's so not pleasant to work at. Like you forget. You don't know about the outside world, which is right, what we can talk right. about. Because like in the outside world, and you guys know from TV and anything here, you have to be super confident mm-hmm. and certain that your idea is the best idea <laughs> ever and you really believe it. So like that's a, that's a thing that we – there's a lot of learning that we had to do when we left. Yeah. So start – uh, as soon as you guys made kind of the decision to to no longer be at The Simpsons, right? Um, and you know, as much as you care to talk about the ups and downs of of that choice, uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about this. Yeah. There's big ups and big downs and big ignorance on our part too, because right. we like we ran a show season seven and eight, and at the time too, we we're like, man, that's like two years running this show with two people is grueling first of all like we were like by the by the end of season eight we were really tired out and we also felt like okay we told all the stories we want to tell but our big ignorant mistake is like we're like this show is not going to go beyond 10 years because <laughs> right. that would have so, been insane that, been right insane. it would have been insane it would have been insane and it's also like we were young at the time like we started when we were 25 and the left Crazy. when we left i'm mad at that yeah, me too I know. I'm, <laughs> mad at you. It. I'm mad at you i'm 53 and old and creaky and slow and it's really like yeah i i envy Youth I envy and... youth, <laughs> but, um, but so like it's that's interesting thing too is like so like we left like when we were like thirty two or whatever, and so like at that age, like you're you still got you're still full of beans, right? And you want to prove yourself, and you and that's noble, I think. But like we wanted to go like okay, we worked on this great show that was created by these other brilliant people. Like we want to go, we want to go prove ourselves, yeah, and that we can do it. And we still we've got all these ideas and blah blah. blah. But also like this show's not going to last, so let's go while the kid, <laughs> while the going's good. I mean, so I don't think that idea. you made the wrong choice, but I think that it is interesting when we look back at, like, the history of the show now, of course, who could have imagined it would have been 31-plus right. seasons. To be on anything for that long is just insane. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's also like you can get tired of it. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think, like, if I had if I had been on it for 30 years, I might be really... I'm, I'm old, but I'd be really old and bitter. Right. And I feel by us going out, like, I did... So many different things and some good, some bad, but that big collection of experiences is super valuable to me and makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm ultimately glad we did, but we, we could have just stayed and <laughs> right, had, right. had like a good ride. Did you get and, any pushback when you made that choice of like, why are you leaving something yeah, that's so, good? Not that, but it's more like people wanted us to stay and it's like, why don't you stay? Um, but it was also like an era an error. I just made a. I made a big Freudian slip. It was an era where like writers could still get big deals, and we were at the very tail mm-hmm. end of like getting development deals. So we were able to do that, mm-hmm. and like and so to which we ended up then developing Mission Hill. It was a hard decision, but it was easier because we were younger. And I noticed like the people who are older on The Simpsons and wiser and had been in the outside world, they stayed. Yeah. They, 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 they knew, knew yeah. they knew what it was like, or they were smart, like they were could stay as consultants. But us, right. us being really brash young men, we were like, we're no, we're cutting the cords, we're going, see you bye. Yeah. So yeah. and so after making the decision, what is the process of getting Mission Hill? So you had a development deal, so you were able to to bring that in. So what was it like actually getting that? 
show made and what yeah, did what it is, feel like? What does like? a development deal look like yeah, for here. people that don't know? The development deal is great because like you have time to sit and think and come up with funny stuff and some stuff fails and some stuff doesn't. It gives you like some time, but you have, there's still a lot of pressure on you because I can't remember if, how long our deal was. I think it was just a year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was two years. But there's like pressure on you. Like you got to come up with something and sell something or your deal's and over, you're getting so, paid like yeah. a salary to yeah. basically be in house and present your ideas. Yeah, only so we to had them. we had our deal with this company, Castle Rock, which no longer exists, but they were the company that did Seinfeld. Yeah, Castle and, Rock is awesome. Yeah, and so we love, and they were like a comedy, and it was part uh, founded by Rob Reiner, so it had comedy, so as you cool. say, DNA, and so they're totally they're fantastic, and they were all just like. We love you guys. Come up with something great, mm-hmm. and then we'll go and sell it. But the one thing is that you don't – about talking about leaving The Simpsons is you're so sheltered at The Simpsons, and it's kind of like grad school. You don't have to leave, and nobody's telling you what to do. And because of the way Sam and Jim and Matt set it up, that like Fox couldn't give you notes, you don't deal with executives when you're on The Simpsons. <laughs> as we talked about before, yeah. they're not allowed right. to be involved. So, so that must have been hugely jarring to to go from like you're running a show with each other and it's super hard as is, but you're not maybe thinking about like once we leave, it's not going to be like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and it's... We, and we, we didn't know that at all. So it's like really being like kicked out of a nest, Oof. like a thrown, yeah. like thrown into this world where it's like, wait, what? We've got to, we've not only have to deal with executives, like we have to please them, but still get, try to get what we want. Yeah. And we have to sell our ideas. And there's going to be a lot of people, there's a lot of people judging us. Whereas on The Simpsons, there are people, the viewers are judging us, but we didn't know it. Right, right, right. The internet's not as big yet. The internet wasn't big, so we didn't know that either. Either. Yeah. So it's totally, you're totally in a bubble. So going out in the world is like a giant splash of cold water on your face yeah. where you have to learn a huge amount of skills that then are, have become very valuable right, from right, that right. point. And so like we, Bill and I really learned to love pitching and to be like, here's the thing too. It's like, don't sell an idea that you don't really love. It's like, don't think like, because yeah. we made that mistake early, early on in our career, like when we were writing spec scripts. It's like, well, I think we should write a night court because that seems like a good a show <laughs> right, people like. Right. And we think this is the type of night court joke. But it wasn't until we wrote something we love right. that we got jobs. So I you have to do that a, for selling. Yeah. Too. Well, I think that that's a very common thing, uh, especially for writers that are up and coming of, you know, you get told time and time again of like, well, you you need to have a spec. And you need right. to have an original pilot and you need to do this. And it's hard because the gatekeepers that are placed in front of those jobs that could shape your career are usually the managers, are usually the studio execs, are usually the people that are not on the floor doing right. the creative work. Right. So they're looking at it as a numbers game and a strategy. It's like it would behoove you to write a night court because yeah. that's what people and, are and that's looking the thing for too, right now. Selling too, there's so many different types of gatekeepers. Yeah. And you get very lucky. Like, for example, we found the people at Castle Rock or like we felt like Netflix is another like they're great gatekeepers because they they love comedy they love what they do but there have been so many things in between where it's like you deal with a comedy executive who has no sense of humor you know or a network that is only looking for one specific thing but they don't tell you that until you've made your pilot but it doesn't fit into that slot Mm -hmm. so like that's like a thing there's so many 
things that you have to learn. So many more. There are almost no. It's a game. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a crazy game, and that's a thing that like The Simpsons isn't. The Simpsons just says sit and write a funny, great show. Yeah, so, yeah. So sometimes, you have to learn the game. Uh, on top of that, sometimes you'll get a prompt from like a studio or a production company that's looking to develop something, oh, that, which can be even worse because if they tell you the prompt, then you try and go and force an idea that fits that right. prompt, and you're like, I don't care about this. I just want to get paid. Uh, uh, or you have that idea in we, the back. We fall prey to something yeah. tangentially related, which is like, oh, CBS is really wants to get a younger audience. Uh, and we're Poochie. like, and, and, yeah, <laughs> and it is, and uh, like Bill and I love like teen oriented shows, like that's yeah. kind of our metier or whatever. Like we just love writing them. Or and and like we did a number, and it's like we always fell for that because it's like, oh, CBS wants to go younger. No, they don't. But they'll <laughs> no. buy your pilot and have you spend a year. Making it or writing it, yeah. and you're lucky if it even gets made. But then they'll be like, "Well, this doesn't fit our demographic of 90 year olds." <laughs> so, do you think that in terms of like you guys like to write for teens? Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that you guys like met as teens and like that's when you kind of were developing your comedy? That's not to play therapist. Not that's to play a therapist. really good psychological. <laughs> I'm not trying to analyze you. <laughs> I love it. I'll go with that. I'll go with because I, yeah. what I will say it's like my most formative years and where I learned that big funny pays off and helps you get by in life was in high school but it was also we had such a I went to I won't go to the story but except we did one pilot based on our high school on our class in high school um, which was our very first pilot it was such a formative experience in a very bizarre way because I had gone to these other schools in Washington DC and didn't like them and I was like oh I I want structure so have I told this no. story no. Right. well this is a, this is after Mission Hill, our next pilot was based on th- what I'm going to tell you. So it is our very first pilot. Mission Hill, we sold and developed. We didn't make a pilot because right. it's an animated show. Mm-hmm. This is a live action pilot. So I went, I was like, I, I hate the, I went, it was like an open classroom school in Washington, D.C. And I was like, even though I couldn't voice it, I was like, I need structure. So I went to this church school, St. Albans. It's a mm-hmm. very strict prep school. But what I didn't know is that. I, that was in ninth grade. The class I was going into, the class of 84, was the worst class in the history of, of the school. Amazing. And from the time, and like Bill and a bunch of my other friends had been in the, it since kindergarten. It was an all-boys school. You start, you start co-ed, and we had a, like a sister school. But anyway, from the time they were in kindergarten, the kids in my class were told, you are the worst class in the history of the <gasps> school. You are stupid and you're awful and blah, blah, blah. And the thing was, it really was the worst class in the history of school. But because of being told that and being the outcast of the school as a class, everyone in the class got along together. Oh, so like yeah. the jocks and the nerds and the stoners and the geeks wow. and everybody, everybody got along and like we were a team. And so it was really like, so even like the most uptight nerdy person went along with whatever shenanigans we were we were up to so the class really really bonded and like we did like some horrible things as a (laughs) as a class but it was such a formative experience but a lot of it had to do with like having a good funny outlook on things as well it was such a strict school and the headmaster hated us and originally well oh also oh sorry when i was this is also we put this in our the we had a pilot called the ruling class I was about Which to was, ask you. That's a TV movie, right? Yeah, it was also it was a TV movie like from the seventies. Okay, something. but anyway, we didn't know that. But anyway, we called it the ruling class, and it was about the characters were called Josh and Bill, 
but it was when I first arrived and really happened at school, I was elected as president of a class as a joke. Because I had no idea that I was yeah. coming to this crazy class, and they were like, let's elect this new weird kid. I, love, and blah, I mean, blah, that blah. good move for everybody else. Yeah. That's very but, funny. And so it started as a joke, <laughs> but then I then I was finally let in on it. But I was elected president of a class every – I don't know if it was a joke. I don't know if I was the, made showrunner of <laughs> The Simpsons as a joke. No. But, but, it, but anyway, so we were like a super tight, crazy class. And so anyway, our first pilot – after Mission Hill was this ruined class pile, and it was it was great, and it was really funny, and we did it for Fox, but it didn't, it didn't, yeah. and we actually made it, and we did um somebody there are a couple there are a couple of we discovered so and so stories in our pilots I could tell, but um one of the main people in it was Simon Helberg who then went on to the Big Bang Theory, yeah, and we actually used him in a couple of pilots that we made. Cool. But anyway, that's the thing, too, is like our first pilot out of the gate besides Mission Hill was based on our own experiences. Was that so, the first time you did live action? Yeah. What did you learn? Like, what was that learning curve for you going from animation to live action? It was that's also a big learning yeah. curve because you realize that like, you're much more constricted in live action because in, in animation, you can draw anything. Right. In animation, you have 10 months to carefully craft an episode, but in live action, you do it in really like a couple of nights. Yeah. yeah. So you have to have it all prepared, all broke down. And it's like you're dealing with actors physically interacting with each other. So there's a lot more factors that that, that are kind of not really up to you at a certain point. Right. That's true, too. They, yeah. and, and so often, famously, sometimes uh, for the benefit and other times I manage the detriment, actors will have their own take on a character. And yeah, that's say, the thing, too. That's know? the thing, too. It's like the Simpsons actors you're so used to dealing with. That's another thing you learn to deal with actors. But you also like you don't want to be a jerk. And a lot of times actors will bring something you can right. never think of. So that's another thing. It's like learning to deal with actors mm-hmm. and some like along the line too. Like I was a designated person because I had to deal with Lawrence Tierney. In, yes. So I was from that point, I was the designated guy to deal with crazy weird actors, which also <laughs> benefited me down yeah. the road as well. Did you so. find when you did live action for the first time that you had like I don't know, more animated sensibilities as a writer? Or did you find that, like, having a background in animation helped you in it was making just, a dynamic yeah, script? Yeah, it was kind of like, it was just our sensibility. Yeah. But there would be people go like, oh, this seems, like, animated or whatever. I get that, too, whatever. with my own stuff, yeah, which is why I ask. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> it's just funny. It doesn't, it's not yeah, car- neither yeah. cartoony nor not. It's just funny. Now, what I love now, and I think it's also especially since, like, Shows like Parks and Recreation and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Which people have uh, said is like the live action Simpsons as yeah. a yeah. compliment. I think mm-hmm. it sort of no longer matters if something is I cartoony agree. or not, which I love. Mm-hmm. But in the, yeah, then it would be like people, we never got a criticism that's, oh, this seems too cartoony, but people would say, yeah. oh, and it feels that way. And some of our other, the ruling class was very, that was a very realistic. Pilot, like they didn't have cartoony ad arts and jokes, but um, then we did another pilot called the Funkhousers, which was like kind of like a modern day Adams family mm-hmm. about, but what they weren't monsters, they were just really weird. And it was about <laughs> this weird family that lived in this big old creepy house in a normal neighborhood, and that was very that also had Simon Helberg as the weird kid who, who lived, he <laughs> he was lived part of your repertoire, yeah, he was our repertoire, <laughs> and he lived in a bunker, an air raid bunker outside of the house, Great. but anyway, but anyway, that was very. That was heightened and more yeah. cartoony. So, but I mean, if if you're 
connecting it back to um, the Munsters or the Adams Family, th- those are very cartoony live action shows. Kind oh of yeah, yeah. I mean, th- they were in the seventies and, and oh my god, uh, well, like Sleeping in the Sea Monster, like they have a ton of shows that are really right. bizarre, like you know, lots of stoner comedy during <laughs> you know an era. Uh, let's actually take a quick break, right. and then we're gonna go uh, do a deeper dive on some of these uh, projects of yours. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hello, this is Steve from Albany talking about my favorite podcast, Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a show where listeners submit their crazy ideas for game shows, and the two hosts have to play them, and they often bring in celebrities and small children to share in the pain and hilarity. At first, it might seem like Joe Firestone has a contentious relationship with listeners, but that is only mostly true. She actually really respects us. It's a lot like Lethal Weapon, where Joe is like, oh, listeners, you're all loose cannons. You're out of control. And we're like, no, Firestone, you're too by the book. You've forgotten what it's like out there. And that's why I love the show. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. Okay, we're back. So there is a chapter in our book which is called 100 Things the Simpsons fans should know and do before they die. Yes. You probably got it yeah. for Christmas, uh, which has happened. <laughs> that book is great, by the way. If oh, you don't good. have it, I think the intro it. is, it is the best part about best that part book by well, a lot. Josh. But it's so, I told you this too when it came out. It had stuff I didn't know. That's so, your way of saying we got facts I wrong. know, I know, no. which still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand no, up. No, it's just seriously, it did, so anyway. Well, thank you. Well, thanks. Uh, but there's a chapter where I talk about some of the projects that people from The Simpsons have worked on, including Cheers and Frasier and Futurama and different things like that. But I mentioned the mullets, and I would love uh, yeah. to hear more about that from you guys. That's perfect, because that is, like, that's a live-action cartoon. Yeah. yeah. That was really heightened. And it's, again, going back, like, we just love like crazy young people like that period of your life. And I think it was, as we said, because it was so formative mm-hmm. to me and to, to Bill. But we just had this idea of like these two really goofy suburban guys yeah. in L.A. Because that's another thing. It's like we really wanted to do it. It's live action. We really wanted to do like an L.A.-based sitcom. Yeah. And so – um yeah, and that's we sold to UPN, and I kind of wish we hadn't called it the mullets because that makes it sound extra stupid. And no, it was intentionally <laughs> not like the stupids. Yeah, yeah, not like the not no, like a, sorry. Not seriously, thinking about my early writing makes me. Ill. But um, I, I mean, the things and, I wrote and, yesterday, I yeah. feel bad about. So you're in good company. But um. Oh, by the way, a side note is because I was just unpacking boxes yesterday from my parents' house, and I found some of the – I started in advertising, and it was the most boring stuff. I found one of the very first things I wrote professionally, which was a radio ad for the Department of Commerce. Wow. Which had no – Ha-cha-cha-cha. had zero <laughs> jokes in it. I imagine I like, you what? submitted that for your Simpsons packet. <laughs> it would be – if you read it as a Simpsons thing, it seems funny because it's so boring. Right. But anyway, that's a thing, too. It's like be, you have to sometimes do a lot of really – boring stuff but it oh, owns yeah. your writing I've Absolutely. been a copywriter right. I've done it yeah. I've cr- tried to mine buzzwords for how to engage people that are in middle America for a mastermind anyway yeah, <laughs> talk about a, that on another podcast I just like I looked at my notes of this radio ad for Department of Commerce and the only thing it said was upsell the job and it's like what the I what? wrote that and it's yeah. like okay I got to upsell it because anyway but uh, uh, so the malts I was saying like I wish kind of wish we hadn't called it the malts like if we had called it like Life in the Valley or San Fernando or something, it would seem smarter. So I think it came out of the gate with people like 
critics go, this is just stupid. Yeah. Where, and in fact, it was intentionally stupid. So I'll own part of that. But it's just, it was really funny. And it was like we had um, John O'Hurley and Lonnie Anderson, who mm-hmm. are kind of like the ma- masters of old time comedy. And the, these great young guys, David Hornsby and Michael Weaver, who played the Mullet Brothers, who are just super gung ho goofy guys who who were their mom was famous played by Lonnie Anderson Mm -hmm. and she was married her new husband was John O'Hurley who played who was a game show host so we got to do like game show parodies as well but it was just like it was just like a vehicle for lots of like great jokes and it was on UPN in its early days and they again like that I have to say like UPN they let us do what we want. And they loved it and they were super supportive, but it didn't do very well and it got canceled. Right, because they knew and that that's... it was just airing to people waiting at a car wash yeah. <laughs> or in the laundromat. Yeah, and it just was like... I, But it right. was like, again, like that was like... That was a, a great experience while it lasted. And then the thing that you learn, that you don't learn on The Simpsons, because it hasn't been canceled yet, is that a sh- when a show gets canceled that you're working on, it's very painful especially if you created it not because you created it but then you're the ones who have to tell everybody else it's like hi we just got a call from the network you do or don't expect it Mm -hmm. and like we on like the mullets it was very popular with its fans yeah so it did and like we did it in front of a live audience which is another thing you don't really do on the simpsons and that was great too because like wow people are immediately you get immediate satisfaction yeah, instead yeah. of like 10 months later when The Simpsons airs. Right. So so we were like, this is really funny show. It's delightful to work on. We've got a great cast and writers. But then it got canceled mm, after right. like 10 episodes. And you're like, that's so painful. You have to assemble. Everyone go like, well, that's you're out of a job yeah. now. Yeah, I I mean, this has been covered in, in so many different, like, movies and TV shows about, like, Hollywood, baby, and, you know, like, how uh, heartbreaking of a business it can be. But I imagine, especially for live action, you know, because with animation, at least in, in my own experience with it, you don't have the assemblage of the team right, hands-on, right, face-to-face. Face. Right, and it's also, like, those departments are, it's much more compartmentalized. Yeah. Like, you've got the writing staff locked in a room, you go out of a soundstage, there's a sound engineer, and then you have the animators. Yeah. But on a live-action show, it's a big team together, and that is one thing that we learned from The Simpsons, and I know people like Greg Daniels have as well, but you appreciate The Simpsons being such a commune and a collective that when you do a live action show, you involve everybody on set and you're yeah. never like a jerk. And it's always a friendly environment because we always found any the live action shows or pilots we did. Everyone was welcome and it's a much happier thing. But then it's much sadder when you have to tell them it's canceled. I was going to say, too, I mean, it's like you I, I find that live action, it becomes like a big club, which is why you find a lot of people that are, you know, have been working on like certain directors films forever because it's just the band like right. we got to get the band we, we back would, together yeah and we yeah. have a band like that and we also have a, a band of writers but also of like oh directors that we love yeah and stuff like that and but then and the directors then would have the crews that they always work with so it was that was really great and it was like really delight it was great to hear like a camera guy laugh yeah, you know <laughs> when you're filming. I know that's like comedy gold when you've hit that. That's truly because yeah. they're the most stoic people for by design. They have to be, but if you can get them to crack, it feels like you're in front of Buckingham Palace or something, and you've yeah, got exactly. the guards I, laughing. Or yeah, something. and it's also I'll just say a couple other things on the mullets too. Is like it was because it dealt with like the cheesy world of L.A. Mm-hmm. kind of as well. We got to 
got to have certain celebrities on the show who were delightful, who were playing themselves. And so one was Ro- Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Who, who's like, we loved him. It's like, oh my God. And like, they, I was just talking to my daughter this morning about They Live. And oh, how much yeah. they loved that. But he's like, he seemed like, a, oh, he'd be like a really great guy. And oh, part of the thing about the mullets where they were huge wrestling fans. And we actually got to film at Staples Center, like before a wrestling match <gasps> for this one thing. But anyway, we were like, one of her idols was Roddy Piper. And we're like, let's let's see if we can get him on a show. And he came on a show and he was a charm. I bet. He was such like a, a nice... A lot of those wrestling guys are just like yeah, really great. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, that was like, that was great. Plus he was really funny and he had a sense of humor about himself. And the other person, big person was Adam West. Oh my God. Who like, oh, I had yeah. never got to meet on The Simpsons because it was right before we started. And he was, he was one of those people who I was the designated weirdo dealer <laughs> to deal, go deal with him because he was really weird but was a lovely guy. Yeah. But I had, we heard like, oh, because he's playing himself. He he had notes about playing himself. Eh. And so, and they're like, Josh, uh, Adam is in his trailer and he has some concerns and blah, blah, blah. So I designated guy to go out, talk to Adam West in his trailer. But I kind of liked it. It's like, I'm talking to Adam West. Yeah. And he's, he's having like a serious conversation about himself and his character. That's amazing. And so, and so like, it was like, and then it was like, he was lovely to work with, but you just have to, like we said, like you have to learn to deal with all types of different I feel people. like Conan may have similar stories because he did look yeah, well, look well with, I'm sure he um, does. him and, and I've been listening to his podcast to promote another kind of Simpsons adjacent podcast. Yeah, his just, podcast is yeah, great. Yeah, having, having that moment. And I'm sure you experienced a very similar sensation of like the surrealness. Yes, There are exactly. certain moments in Hollywood where you're like, I, I mean, beyond how did I get here? I'm actually working in Hollywood. But then you have these moments that you, you couldn't have even designed in your greatest dreams. Yeah, and you have to be able able to appreciate them yeah and that's i think that's a good lesson for outside the simpsons world is you've got to appreciate every moment it's like it's like pitching a show to executives is really hard but you have to appreciate it because then your enthusiasm shows or you're stuck in a trailer of adam west <laughs> like it's nerve-wracking but appreciate that moment and then it was like it's like wait we're filming a show about fictional characters with adam west he's playing himself but he has notes about himself yeah. and it's just like it's so don't, yeah that's don't amazing. take a step you gotta, away yeah, yeah. you gotta that's like when i can talk about it now because i i have a mental photograph yeah of, of being stuck in a trailer of him that's well that, amazing. that leads into kind of more of a broader question that i have of you know you mentioned that you know you've written on a lot of things that were like one pilot done didn't go to series things that yeah. had one season like mission hill which i really want to talk about but then you know you are still going out and pitching how do you keep the spirit alive and not become jaded with yeah, knowing really how bad this can go because you've experienced it firsthand Especially since the show you quit is continuing to get renewed. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're again you're pitching again. in the shadow of yeah. a titan that you left. You're like, oh my god! And you're they're, just watching they're, your ex boyfriend just yeah. get, you know, yeah, richer the ex boyfriend sitting there getting free lunch, <laughs> going home on time, alone, and yeah. it's like, but um, you have to like what you're pitching, and yeah. you have to be and what you do, yeah, and you have to enjoy because that's the thing too. It's like we learned to really when we first started pitching, we would we have every everything written out and we'd be like this is a show about four young people who live in a boring town and form a band and it's like if you're just reading <laughs> that thing you do yeah, just just but we did before that oh we worked with Tom Hanks' company <gasps> by the way oh don't my God, you dare bring I his name in this room <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even list I, I told you before we started I did a list of everything that we 
worked on after The Simpsons, and it's like 25 different things. And yeah. I totally forgot about this. We did two pilots for his company. One was a serious drama. Really? Um, and with, so, with Hanks himself? or Well, with... Hanks himself came into a meeting. Wow. It was lovely and delightful. The first, uh, should we do side tangent? Yes, one, please. Okay. And That's one of, the show. One of this was... Um, I totally forgot about this. Is and this was with David Silverman was oh, going to be the head cool. director. This was an animated show. Animals had jobs. They wore clothes. Blah yeah, blah. It's yeah. a world of animals. But this is like the first human to move into the neighborhood. It was going to be directed by and designed by David Silverman. So cool. And it was really it was hilarious. And it was right before that Siegfried and Roy. Uh, the mauling? Oh. No, no, oh, no, no. Oh, oh, the, yeah. the, 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 the pride, pride, father of the pride, father of the pride. And this oh. is this is the where the fickleness of Hollywood is awful. It's like we're developing the show, and it's with Tom Hanks's company, and Tom Hanks was either going to voice the main guy or like do a voice yeah. in it, wow. and it was just like it had David Silverman, and we were writing as stacked, and it was really, and it was super funny. And sweet and good in every way that you would want, Aww. like a Simpsons of animals. Yeah, basically was what it was. But because then Father of Pride came out and flopped, that yeah. killed that killed this project. It's so it was, unfair. Yeah, but that's life outside of the Simpsons is insanely unfair, and you yeah. have to learn to go like. That's right. Okay, right. That's it, and and you you pull yourself back up. And I feel and like that that whole notion of like, well, they're doing it across the street. We can't do it now. I think is a little different with streaming and with yeah, cable and and how it's in its current iteration. But you still find these moments of. I remember when Finding Nemo, or I guess Finding Dory, was coming out. Mm-hmm. But when Finding Dory was coming out, it was sort of that second wave of like underwater stories. And I just remember right. being in meetings where they're like. Um, we're not doing underwater stories right now. And I'm like, a, a whole region of the planet? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. <laughs> the ice caps yeah. are melting. It's yeah. all going to be an underwater story. Just, and it's also because like, a lot of, not all executives, but a lot are looking for a reason to say no. Because it's easier to say no. Yeah. And it involves a lot bigger risk to say yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But I do think it was a much more narrow world up through like the early 2000s before totally. streaming. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a lot of people, a lot... And also you've got executives who grew up watching like The Simpsons or Seinfeld or really great shows. So like I think they're smarter than the dumb old cranks that we don't live in the 90s. (laughs) Yeah, I think that people don't know. I mean, if if you're out, certainly if you're outside of TV and film and, and, you know, maybe want to go into that inner uh, industry, like – it, I think people think that it's just a yes or a no from the exec you pitch to. But truly, it is winning the lottery, I want to say, seven times in a row. And you really have to, like, you win the lottery that first time and getting the pitch meeting, you win the yes. lottery if they yeah. say yes. Or if you, they like it, then they have to put it up to their boss who has to say right. yes. They have, there's so many so level, many levels. But, and you have to, you do, you have to appreciate every lottery ticket win yeah. or loss yeah. you get. Yeah. Because yeah, you have to be 100, you've got to be 100% committed to writing it and then filming it. Yeah. And, and it's so hard when you know that it could go away in a second. Right. And a, some, a lot, like half the pilots, half, I would say half the pilots we sold got filmed, but the other half didn't, didn't even get to that stage. Yeah. And so... How much do you think – I mean, you obviously have a really strong attitude where you're able – like, you, you know that you love working. You know that you love writing. You care about each project. How do you – you know, how often, if ever, did you find yourself kind of 
you know, maybe protecting your feelings a little bit by not counting on stuff or or just thinking like, oh, it will never go and I'll be happily surprised if it does. Like what attitude do you think helped you continuously like put work out? Because I feel, you know, the people who are the most successful, assuming that they're not people who have been helped in, in unfair advantages, like people who have really worked to get where they yeah. are, tend to be really nice kind people like I I genuinely think that's true there are obviously some people who are trust fund kids or were born into it but they seem to have good attitudes and I think that's so much of it you know it it is and it's like I keep harping on this but like positivity is infectious yeah and it's like you go into a room and you genuinely like what you're saying and you're making people laugh and you're making them feel good then they'll feel good Right, about the project, right. but I think it's like going back to your question. It's it's always looking ahead, yeah. and not dwelling in the past. It's like, damn, that pilot didn't sell, or yeah. damn, they didn't pick it up. But I'm just I'm gonna do this next thing, mm-hmm. and you can't dwell in it. And also another thing is like another lesson is like whenever like if you make a pilot and a, a network says no on it, the production company is often like, well, we're gonna sell it elsewhere. They never sell it. They elsewhere. never. Ninety nine percent. It's nice to get that right. email or phone call though. <laughs> yeah, but it's like most. Of, it's like you just gotta keep just moving ahead, and also tell yourself because it's usually true. Is like it doesn't have anything to do with you right. or the quality of a show. It's the network didn't want that type of show at that time or there was some weird factor or whatever, but it's almost never you or the show. Right. Yeah. I I compare it sometimes. And of course, I'm very green. So this is just the thing I've witnessed of just it it does feel very much like relationships. And I think I've said this before, at least to individuals. But the idea of like, you know, when you're a single person and you're really depressed because so-and-so doesn't like you, it, like, for the most part, unless you have a really crummy attitude, they just weren't right for you. Right. Yeah. It wasn't right for you. And it's like, it's also like former relationships. You will meet people years later and you'll be executives years, years later. And now it's a fit. <laughs> yeah. And they, go like, and they go, oh, I really loved that. Yeah. I was so sad. I was so sad when they said no, but I couldn't say anything because yeah. I was on this level, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it is like, you have to know, know that too, that there's somebody out there who really likes it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like like a relationship. Do you connect with that person or right. not? Yeah. I, by luck to meet that person who it's right for. I always say, too, that like any general meeting or pitch meeting, pitch meetings especially, I think, are like kind of a souped up job interview. And most yeah. often not for the thing you're pitching, but for a future opportunity. I can't tell you how many times. And, and this hasn't like uh, resulted in great success, but I, I've had multiple occasions where I pitched to somebody or was going up for a staff job on something and it didn't work out. And then like maybe years later, it's like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? And then yeah. it's, they you So you it. never know. Mm-hmm. And that's why you should never yeah. burn any bridges. Yes. <laughs> as well. For many reasons. Just right. being a decent person because <laughs> i'll say this too there was somebody i won't say who who we had heard statements about this person that they were they were an asshole they were mm-hmm. horrible difficult person to deal with and then we did a pilot with him he had a product and he was like the loveliest person Aww. in the world Aww. and so like you have to like that's another thing too is like rely on your own personal experience with someone not right. not their reputation and that goes with actors too oh i have a good i want a story tangentially related it. to that that's another pilot that we made which was the new partridge family yeah oh, okay yes. so let's talk about that didn't you is that emma stone yes we, <gasps> i you discovered emma stone I, I can safely say in a hollywood way that in a good hollywood way that i discovered her because i l- literally 
picked her out of a crowd. Wow. But that's denigrating her talent. It's like we picked her right. because she was the most talented. It was really funny. Um, and she's this was I when love she's her just, so much. She's, she's the best. And then we gave her her second job in Hollywood, which was another pilot we made called Times Square. Wow, where she oh, cool. played. It was about Times Square starred Diedrich Bader, who's oh. hilarious. Um, it was for Fox. That's quickly tangentially. It was a. It was like a modern Barney Miller set in Times Square. Yeah. And Emma Stone, who was named Emily Stone at the time, she changed her name. I she, think because right of, move. Right. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I think it was some SAG thing. But uh-huh, um, yeah. But anyway, she just she played a Lindsay Lohan type celebrity who was arrested in Times Square. Oh wow. Yeah. Like a drugged out celebrity. That's and she great. was hilarious. But um. Anyway, the new Partridge family is a good lesson in good and bad because we were going to do it. Um, we had – oh, all right. There's so many ten, 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 ten <laughs> We're going to have to do a part two. Because um, <laughs> previously we had done a – we're going to do a pilot for NBC, The New Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And it was going to be done with Simon Fuller, who was the creator and producer of American Idol. And he had a huge staple of um, – stable of – Music writers. So we're going to do New Monkeys and cast really funny, four really funny guys mm-hmm. who also could sing and, and play could, their own instruments. Yeah, yeah. And we really did like we and we found like half of that. Wow. Like and but we, he was gonna it was gonna have all new songs written by like the great pop writers yeah, of the time. Yeah, great. And it was really funny. And we cast four really funny guys. Simon Helberg. Oh my God. Was one of them. Wow. Oh wow. So that's like three times we cast him. That never even got made. Ugh. But anyway, so like we had then we're like, oh, these guys wrote a musical comedy. And I can't remember if the new Partridge family, I don't think it was affiliated with Simon Fuller. But anyway, it was it was MTV, I want to say. It's a reality show, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's, I watched that's it. the mistake. Yeah. I was a judge on that reality show. That <gasps> oh, was a big oh. mistake because we were like, you want to – they what the idea was like, we're going to do a new Partridge family, which is a fine idea. But – we're going to cast it by having a nationwide talent search. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Because, like, you have to find somebody who can act and act comedy and sing or play an instrument. You're never going to. It, it's yeah. Complete, you should rely on casting agents yeah, they and, know and, form, and, and, and form a character of their life in front of this national audience. Right. And you you're know. also going to pull. That also means pulling people who a lot of people have no experience mm-hmm. acting or performing. But they wanted as publicity because it was American Idol was still right, huge right. at the time. So I traveled and build like we split the duties, traveled around the country to these different places. Wow. To ca- these giant casting calls with thousands mm-hmm. of people. To f- and it's like, this is like, you know, in casting too, it's like one out of a thousand people will be right. And right. when you're dealing with a giant nationwide search, it's one out of 20,000. So oh. it was exhausting to even find anybody who had any combination of the skills. And in the L.A., casting call, which was literally like 2,000 people, Emma Stone was the only one Wow! that we were like, wow, she's really funny, she can act, and she can kind of sing. Yeah. So it's like, but she was, she just stood out, she was like the best. We knew then like, oh my, she's she's the great person in the cast mm-hmm. that we should really, and we should really write for her. Oh, but well, we're I'm talking about crazy celebrities and being told something about somebody that's not true. Yeah. So anyway, David Cassidy and Danny Bonaducci were oh both in, both involved <laughs> in this. And Danny Bonaducci was kind of more to the side. Yeah. Like we just met him a couple of times. But when we started the project and we're going to do all the, the talent search stuff, 
everybody, all these executives and people said, well, don't. David Cassidy's just he's just crazy. Don't don't talk to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and like you gotta you gotta avoid him. He's nuts. And and so he said, like, can, at some point, very honest, said, can I talk to you guys? And he was he wasn't crazy at all. He had the same thoughts that we had. It's like this talent search is a huge bad idea. And all the things we had been saying is like you can't really create a show doing it this way. And he was the one. Wow. One, the one other person out of 200 people on the show. So we sort of had an alliance with David Cassidy going. I wonder if they were like gaslighting him because he was going against their ideas. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. They, yeah. They were gaslighting <laughs> us. and like, But he was the one sane person. And it's like wow. we had meetings with David Cassidy. That's which was so also, funny. But another serial moments like here I'm sitting at the, I think it was the, not the Sportsman's Lodge, but whatever that. Is it in Burbank? Is it Sportsman's a Lodge? A Masonic Lodge, There's maybe? The... No, it's like a hotel Sportsman's Lodge. restaurant yeah. thing. We're, we're sitting there with David Cassidy wow. talking about this the new Partridge family. Amazing. But anyway, he was a lovely guy and was was the most sane person there. But that's a yeah. case of like, wow. you can't, it's another thing like going out in the real world, you've got to trust yourself yeah or david cassidy i think (laughs) always just david i think there's also a thing of celebrity prejudice of actor celebrities that are wanting to cross over into behind the camera production i've worked on a project where there was an on-camera celebrity involved and the word internally was so heartbreaking because they just were like they don't have good ideas. Like, they don't know how to write a script, so don't listen to them. That's mean. And it creates yeah. a really hostile culture because yeah. they did have good ideas. Just when people say that to you, I at least always think, like, well, what are they saying about me? Like, <laughs> no. you know, yeah. Yeah. like you're yeah. someone who talks Allie shit. smells, so if you get around her, <laughs> well, she's going to smell that I'm proud of. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Never worry. That's another thing. Don't think about what people are thinking about you. Sure. No. <laughs> yeah. But it's like talking about a culture of things like, and making pilots or shows is like, you don't know how long it's going to last. Right. It may never even get picked up, but it's not going to last 30 years like The Simpsons. So enjoy the time and make sure that everyone around you is happy and enjoying it because otherwise wise go work in a law firm you know absolutely and that's a good time for a second break hey everyone it's i john hodgman of the judge john hodgman podcast and i elliot kalen of the flophouse podcast and we've made a whole new podcast a 12 episode special mini series called i podius in which we recap discuss and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-Sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. I, Claudius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Yeah, what a Yay. great break. That actually is the first time we've taken an actual break. And <laughs> it was actual break. <laughs> to pull the curtain back a little bit. I still didn't move, but <laughs> yeah. it was an actual break. I would be remiss in not mentioning Mission Hill yes. and yes. talking about that a little yes. bit. Let's we've talk teased about it a little that, bit earlier. It's also, we, that's the show that Bill and I always have hopes that somehow will come back. It's got and to. I think it, it will. And it was so ahead of its time that yeah. it finally makes sense to have it now. That's the thing, too. No. That's the thing, too. That, and it's you can tell yourself this, but a lot of times it's true. Like if your project gets rejected, 
it may just be ahead of its time or people aren't around to your way yeah. of thinking yet. And we I, live in both a blessed and cursed time post Jericho coming back. <laughs> yeah. The fans spoke and they listened. But also, especially in adult animation, you know, Family Guy was canceled and got brought yeah, back from it's the like, dead. This is, Futurama. But, this is where it's like, thank God for the Internet, even though yeah. it can be awful. It's because we now live in an era where because of that, fans can save a show. Yeah. And like in, in, in Mission Hill, we weren't in that. We didn't know. And it's also, it was canceled after three episodes. It was on a WB. Yeah. And it's also like the W, God bless the executives at the WB who, who bought it, but it didn't fit any of one single other show. Yeah. It didn't fit. I was shocked to learn that it was on the WB. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, even yeah. though like back then at the late nineties, early two thousands, they were a, a pretty big titan next to NBC and ABC at the time, but I just, I think of their programming as being very like Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it was and, totally Gilmore yeah. girls and stuff, and it's just like a cartoon about alterna young people in the big city. It didn't fit yeah. the sort of serious or Smallville mm-hmm. or that sort of thing, but the executives were real, like super supportive of it, and it's just like, but it did terribly, and it only got a second life a cult, like a cult life with when it was picked up by Adult Swim because yeah. that showed all the episodes and then we also posted the unmade episodes as well and then that's also when the internet was blossoming and that's when we learned like wow it's got a huge audience in like Latin America yeah. for some reason it's wow. very popular in Argentina but all over the world and it's also what's great is now we're meeting people who are kids or teens then who've grown up Mm-hmm. And they're like, not only did like I want to live in that world, we've met gay kids who are like, oh, my God, Gus and Wally oh, were like yeah. the first gay yeah. people that I could I saw on TV yeah. that were represented in like a realistic way. So there's like since then, we've met so many people that loved it. And, yeah, and, and, but us, too, it was like it was a true labor of love. And that was also like that was like about our lives and our friends' lives. And Lauren McMullen, who designed it, who's brilliant. Um, was also, amazing it, design. It, yeah. And she's also, she's somebody who's also been a lifelong friend since our 20s. That's awesome. And so it's like, and, and all the writers and animators on it, like we kind of poured our lives into it. And we it was only just beginning. Yeah. Because that's interesting because like now I'm on Disenchantment, which is a serialized animated show which is really hard to do but mission hill we actually intended to be serialized and that the characters would get older and like andy french who's the main character he would eventually he is a struggling cartoonist he would eventually end up as matt graining at some point and like their lives would we'd see it progress so it was a show that could have gone on for years and years but instead was killed well, in Well, you first heard thing. it here first. When it gets picked up yeah. by yeah. some streaming thing that could be Netflix or non, it's either Disney or Netflix in today's world, um, then you may see season four or five, six. Yeah, it's he some interesting incarnation because there's so much more to tell. And that was like, that was, it was like about hip, pre-gentrified areas of cities. And in 1998, that wasn't like really like talked about right. or observed. And like now you see it in, in every city in the world yeah. and with lots of like young hip people it's like you don't i hesitate to say hip because it's just more right yeah what they are but it's but, true but it's like that wasn't so i feel like that was ahead of its time Absolutely. yeah so. but it also feels like it's ahead of its time um certainly with the content of it you know you have this gay couple that's being represented in in the show and, and all that's these different also it was like the styles. first it was definitely the first animated gay kiss 
But we were told it's like one of the first televised gay kisses. Wow. As well. But what we love too is like we wrote. It's like Gus and Wally happen to be gay, mm-hmm. but that's like it's not. We're just telling their stories along of it and handle everything very realistically, and that's never that's rarely done. Also, even in Modern Family, there wasn't a lot of affection and, and PDA between uh, the gay characters because they didn't think it would test well. And that was in, like, the later 2010s. Yeah, and no, and no one – we got no – nobody complained about it. And we saw Gus and Wally kissing. And we also saw them fighting. Here's a couple that love each other. So, yeah, they do kiss. Especially they do coming out together. of the gay panic of the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Well, also just like in terms of – because Mission Hill was 99, right? Yeah. So 2001 is when Buffy has the first like network lesbian kiss. But that's the thing too. It's like we always like – and I was like – even uh, that's the thing that I think – at the time, executives didn't realize, but now executives are smarter. It's like you just because it's a cartoon doesn't mean that it's super silly Mm-mm. or say, yeah. zany like Bugs Bunny. Like the stuff we like is very realistic, but happens to be in a cartoon. I world. felt like it, it had a shared universe to King of the Hill in that way of being yeah. very realistic. And, you know, King of the Hill's uh, main criticism, which I don't agree with, which is like, oh, why does it need to be animated? But I feel like you get animation beyond or like the reasoning for animation is beyond like we can have a dinosaur talking. It's about right. a tenderness that you need to feel for the characters and the stories and that sort of empathy that is brought more forward through animation yeah. because it's through that's totally lens. true yeah even now if it's for family which i think is awesome i love that show I, too. that show is so that is, yeah. great but people also have a similar thing of like it's so like you know it's like too grounded and like slow like why can't it just be this and it's like because i wouldn't it, want it any other way it is what yeah, it is I would accept deta- it. I, and you for, can't have bill burr's voice if yeah it's, and for some reason i'm drawn in more because it is animated yeah, yeah. But that totally gives me the the King of the Hill feelings that I need. Yeah. Can, can you walk us through some of these, uh, if not all? Can you go through your list of the 23 projects? And, yes. And also, at what point, you know, do, do you and Bill decide to kind of do your own thing? And, and what did that feel like? Right. That was, I could go to that because, like, we, the thing about being a, t, a writing team in Hollywood, and it's the weirdest, like, the Writers Guild is fantastic, but... It, they've never changed this. As, if you're a team, you split a you salary. You split a salary. Which is insane. Yeah. So, like, even when you're running a show, like, you're the top dogs, you may be making less than other writers because you're splitting salaries. It makes no sense. And it makes, and it, so it's really hard. And especially after leaving The Simpsons, and when we're, Bill and I were in a world of like, we have to sell a certain number of pilots a year just to pay the bills. Right. It becomes, there's a lot more pressure and it's a lot harder. Yeah. And so, after, because Mission Hill, we kind of lucked into that we got the deal right off from The Simpsons and that it did get put on the air. But after that, then we were thrown in the extra cold, hard world of use sell pilots to survive, but also help yeah. hope that it will make a full-time living. So that at that point, like in the 2000s, we were really like, at some point, we're going to have to split up. Yeah. Because just, just financially alone. Yeah. And so, so that kind of like started, and we just knew at some point. Oh, that's a bummer. That 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 was sort of yeah. It was very bittersweet. And then we were on this show initially together called "Sit Down, Shut Up," Mm -hmm. which was a flop. And it was like that. There were a lot of bad tensions there that we wish had never happened. Yeah. And we would both probably do things differently. But it's like we're still great friends, (laughs) and we're still like we're doing stuff together. Right. But that was a that was an unfortunate time, and it's really sad because it because it was. 
such a great partnership, but then it was revived again. Absolutely. And yeah. just like our pilot, too, is like we had done a, a dramedy for CBS. Wait, I'm diverging again from what you're... Oh, I must oh, go good. for this list. No, but no, no. Is, is I a, asked about Bill. Okay, so we did a, a <laughs> dramedy for CBS called Twenty Two Birthdays, which was an LA-based show, a dramedy about all. It was based on again on our lives, and not the kids in the class, but the parents of all these rich parents from Hollywood and finance and weird international stuff. But they were all brought together because they are the parents of this, the school in some part of LA, and so. But it was like a kind of like a. Dynasty uh-huh. in soapy but funny drama. And so that we made it for CBS. Um, we didn't make it, but we sold it to CBS and wrote it. People loved it. It didn't get made. But then um, I think it was Hulu wanted to revive it. Wow. Mm. And so, like, but like that was like Bill and I had split up, but then that was the first thing that we worked together again. It was like, this is great. That's Aww. great. So, like, since then, like, we're still like, even if like we're on our own and Bill has his own, also watch. Watch, watch, watch Bill's Instagram food, food yes. reviews, yeah, by the, the way. The steamies have just been steamy announced. Star, yeah, steamies, well, I or guess, no, the teaser The for teaser, it. yeah. It won't be, uh, this won't be coming out this week. Well, but so steamies, this, this episode is airing... Uh, uh, post-2020. <laughs> you, post you can check out the steamies now. <laughs> yeah, but check they'll be Check out his wrap-up of the best uh, fast food yeah. items he had consumed right. that year. So anyway, so now, like, now we have our own careers, but we still are always looking to work together. That's and great. Like, and that's like, I think, part of the, the dream of Mission Hill yeah. as well. So what's so anyway, this list? All right. This list is really long. Do you want, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll just go down. I'll go re- down yeah. it. I'll read anything... it because we've already talked about stuff, but we can stop. Okay. Mission Hill. Woo! Ruling class. Yeah, we talked Woo. about Funkhousers. We talked about very briefly. <laughs> oh, also that side note of Funkhousers. It was it was Danny DeVito's company, oh. Jersey Films, and Danny DeVito. It's totally Danny DeVito's sensibility. But if you go out to sell a pilot of Danny DeVito, you'll sell it. Yeah, because he's in the room. But also, I remember we went to ABC. We sold it to ABC, and Danny DeVito was like, "How how much money does it take to get this pilot made? God damn it!" And he pulled out like a a huge like pile I'll of have cash to think about and that. started like throwing the cash around. It's like whatever you want, just make this pilot. It's great, wow. amazing. So, but anyway, so he was like, he was he was originally going to direct it, but then he got involved. In fact, it was Death to Smoochie. I think oh, was wow. the was one of his few movies that did not was yeah. did not do well. But because he couldn't direct it, then we got Frank Oz to direct it. That's so which, cool. From, from Sesame Street oh and, my the, God. and the Muppets. So again, another thing of like, we got to work with one of like a our hero. idols and Amazing. a hero. Yeah. And he was great. Wow. So okay. anyway. I'm so, going to run oh, home. Also, yeah. also, we filmed it in Vancouver during the winter because if in live action, another thing in The Simpsons, you can draw a winter environment. You can draw the Anytime. North Pole <laughs> and it doesn't, you don't get cold and it's not hard to do. <laughs> but when you make a live action pilot, it's expensive, especially one like the Funkhousers. So we filmed it in Vancouver in the winter and it was really, it was great, but I was flying back. It was like, we stayed up there in a ho- kind of depressing hotel and I'd fly back on the weekends to see my wife and kids. And um, so it was, and it snowed the night before, which was great for filming yeah. and the feeling, but I slipped. <gasps> my, I was walking to the cab and I slipped and I broke my ankle, <gasps> but I didn't know it. Oh, I no. didn't know it. And I was like, oh my God, I just got to go. I have to, I was just go flying home for the weekend and I was going through Seattle. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to make it. I'll, I'll see a doctor when I get back. And it was so bad that I had, to, I had to have one of the crew guys carry me to the cab. And so when I got to the airport in Vancouver, I was like, I'm just going to make it. I'm just going to make it. And then the flight was delayed or whatever. And so I ended up being stranded in Seattle and I had to be in a wheelchair and I was just like, I can't 
can't. Oh, the flight to L.A. was canceled because of weather. weather. Yeah. And so I was like, what am I going to do? I'm in, a, I'm in a wheelchair in Seattle and, and you know, I, I don't know anyone. And what do I do? So I was like, I'm going to fly back to Vancouver. Wow. So I got like I got booked on another flight, flew back to Vancouver. And then I went to the hospital Wow. there. And so and then I got wow. treated for a sprained ankle and then I was on crutches. But ever since then, my ankle like now I'm like an old man and my that ankle acts up. Oh, anytime, wow. anytime, anytime it's cold. Yeah, seriously, it does. <laughs> or anytime I'm going to get like a fever, wow. my ankle. Anyway, so Super that's power. a side note. So wow. like, you get injured a lot more in live action yeah. than even as a writer. <laughs> I like but, that the, your ankle predicted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, okay. Anyway, so, okay. The Funkhausers, then Mullets. We talked about Partridge Family. We talked about, oh, Times Square. We yeah. talked about, that was good. That was like a great pilot. It had a great cast. and But Fox didn't pick it up we had a lot of agony dealing with fox mm. pilots yeah so maybe now that they were disney will be better um, <laughs> Ooh, i don't so, know <laughs> i don't know that's a okay i got to some gra- stories yeah because it's like i only had to go to gravity falls which i worked yeah. on i think that was a special thing but I, we had great experience with i like disney yeah and that's the thing too and when you grow up in the simpsons you're supposed to hate disney but then you realize when you work with oh yeah. They actually and they actually love animation a lot more than people at Fox do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. I so, would just say that their track record is they know they have a chip on yeah. their shoulder about it. So but I actually Gravity have, Falls like, is like the bar best. none the best. Yeah, and that was the thing too. We could, I could jump to that. No, no. Oh no. Oh, no okay, wait. Okay, let me, we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay, it's Times Square business class. Yeah. Oh my God, that was another great pilot. We did it for NBC. It was live action. It was about two traveling salesman for a super high-end soda company like Coca-Cola. And it was all based, it was all based that we film on planes and hotels and offices. Like it's like about these traveling salesmen and they have also a rival from another soda company. Great. And it had both like soda intrigue, but also (laughs) it was real. it was great. And it was sort of like, it was like, I guess you could say like it's the office on the road. That's great. With traveling did you salesman. do a riff on the people? There's like two people that are appointed to know the uh, formula for yes. Coke. There's a, whole, there's a whole thing about the secret formula. Right. And the pilot began with the two guys on the plane and their rival. And she has a case with their new brand of soda. And when she goes back to the bathroom, the guy steals the soda. It's an unmarked can. And he's like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever tasted. It's all about, like, the rival company has a secret formula. And But like Simpsons, we actually created different brands of sodas yes, of and course. stuff. It was a really high-end pilot that we filmed on planes. We filmed at the Ontario airport cool. and had super great production design, wonderful actors. And it was I thought it was really well written. And it was like that was a case where it got... We actually made it. And sometimes you'll, you'll make a pilot you love and you'll learn like, oh, it tested really badly. And you're like, crap. And because mm-hmm. then you really can't do anything. But this pilot tested really well. And it was going to get made. It was going to get put on the air at NBC. But it was right at a time that a certain president of NBC who we loved and loved the pilot. And he was like, I'm going to get this made. We're going to like. But the, somebody else who was the super head of NBC at the time didn't like it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. speaking of narrators, the pilot had a narrator, which was great. Yeah. Because like, this is the story of so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. And it was really funny. The pilot, the narrator was a character like he appeared in the show. Mm-hmm. He was like a guy in a jacket and tie would appear at certain moments going, now watch what happens yeah, here. Yeah. And it was really, it, it worked seamlessly because the superhead guy of NBC didn't like narrators. Again, it's like, 
why the hell? It's usually arbitrary rules. It's so arbitrary. That's not a rule. Narrators aren't good or bad. So anyway, but he had this arbitrary rule. So the guy who was the president of NBC, who we love, is like, you know what? We're going to remake it. We can do it without a narrator, and it's going to get on the air. But then that week, that guy got fired. <gasps> wow. Yeah, so he's like, I'm going to go to bat for you. Yeah. And I'm sure he did. But then he got fired, and then it was dead. Right, right, right. Of course. That so happens all the time. That was really sad because that was so good, and we had been so invested in it, but that was it. Yeah. And then, and that's another case where people are going to go, well, we're going to sell it. And, and, and It's just so much effort to pick up your instruments again. Yeah. And that was done. <laughs> it's like, when you go out in the world, too, you deal with a lot of different pod companies and production companies, and that was Doug Lyman, who's a director, his company, who's normally like a serious director, but then you'll meet, like, you'll end up meeting people like, oh my god, they have a great sense of humor. Yeah, even yeah. Even though they're really serious. So, okay, so that was business class. Then I just talked about 22 birthdays. Then I talked about, then sit down, shut up, which was a failed <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. and it failed our partnership but luckily we're oh, back together again good. that's good um then around that time future i went back on futurama mm-hmm. when it was in the comedy central years uh but we all know about futurama there's a, oh i wrote a couple episodes of here's i'm not going to talk about these shows that it's here's it but the, the lesson is don't do something that you don't like yeah, yeah. I wrote, I wrote a couple episodes of some shows that I, were not for me. Yeah. And that was a mistake. And just don't. Yeah. Don't you're do lending that. your name to something. Yeah. That you don't and then it's also in. like, also myself and whatever person were like, oh, we'll do, we'll write these episodes because those will be good. But then they got rewritten and yeah. it was with our name. Anyway, don't do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> but I won't mention what they are. While I was doing Futurama, I started developing this British show, Strange Hill High, mm-hmm. for the BBC, which is a puppet show. It's like a live action puppet show, but it was done with an innovative process where it's old fashioned rod puppets, but then we'd CGI the mouths and eyes. So oh, it wow. looked, they're talking, they look like living toys. Cool. That's cool. And it was brilliantly done. And, and this woman who created, oh, we're run out of time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was, I must <laughs> say to my friend Kat Van Henderson who created it, but then I developed it with her. And that was a great experience doing a crazy kids puppet show that yeah. we filmed in, yeah, Manche- in Manchester, yeah. England. That must and, be so fun. It was. And that's another thing, like Mission Hill, is like everyone involved still has hopes that it might come back because it was really, it was great. It was really critically well received. That's great. And, but it didn't sell merchandise. Mm, and so, yeah. so. That's what you step into with kids. I've worked yeah. on some toy things and it's been like, all yeah. right, well, now we, there's like this other audience that you have to service as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> as well. So, um, but that was a great, it's also like, that was a thing too, but I, there's a lesson. It's like, with failed pilots and whatever new shows, you throw yourself into it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to another country where I don't know anyone and I don't know the process there. And I'm just going to throw myself into it and see what happens. That's yeah. amazing. And so, like, you got to you got to do that, mm-hmm. and you got to enjoy throwing yourself into new stuff. That's really good life advice, even outside of a writing career. Of just like, and it seems hard again because you people tend to want to protect themselves, and so there's usually one foot out the door in some way or another relationships or what have you but it does seem like if you're really giving it your all every time you're at the very least going to have a really great story out of a bad experience yeah, exactly. and you'll learn from it absolutely yeah. and it's like i have so many stories from that and it's like now also england is my favorite place and i want to do oh my god i want to yeah. live there so badly we my... just went there recently oh. separately uh, on different trips, I love... but, my yeah. goal is it's like after disenchantment i just want to Get something going there. Me too. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Let's yeah, do it. Let's all of us in this no, room. Not for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? That's also that's a whole other thing to talk about is how they make shows 
and comedy and especially kids shows in England is is delightful and is not something they do. Yeah. Very curious. So many of uh I assume all of the all of our favorite shows are are British shows. Yeah. Like BBC has some of the best yeah. shows. That's what's in the so world. weird is over there they're all like, Oh, we love Seinfeld and Friends <laughs> and it's like and they also love like Simpsons and Futurama. Yeah. And so like so it was a good door for me. But they all want to British writers want to come here and I'm That's like crazy. Don't come here. Don't, don't or, come or, here. You know what? Yeah, come or here come and then here. we'll yeah. take yeah. your spot. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Come here. We'll do a four yeah. exchange. <laughs> come right in. Uh, well, Josh, this has been amazing, and it's you're definitely the guest that we would like to be able to talk to for 24 hours at a time. So we'll definitely, Likewise. maybe we'll do a special episode yeah. uh, to have you come back because there's so much more on your list. I'm sure that we haven't oh. covered, and we'd love to hear more about it and give the proper time and more the space in depth for it. All right, yeah, because I feel like I'm always talking really fast. I but know, and we want no. to chill. It's delightful. It's we delightful. All, we're fast talkers, too. <laughs> yes, we yes. are. Um, so uh, you teased it earlier, um, but I, I'm guessing uh, there's more disenchantment coming um, yeah. to everyone's Netflix uh, boxes. So Stay is, tuned for, we call it parts, part three. Oh, my God. Part three is amazing. Because I'm people so talk excited. about serialized story great. very quickly. Thank you. Yeah, I feel part two we hit the stride right, great. where we knew how to tell. We keep telling a story as opposed to freestanding episodes. Part three is more excitement's very good. Oh, I'm so, so excited. excited. Uh, well, Josh, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. This is a blast. Uh, aside from disenchantment, is there anything that you'd like to plug or social stuff or? You're great no. on Twitter. You're always oh, posting old Simpsons. Oh yeah, scripts. if you like old Simpsons stuff that I'm continually pulling out of, like I love it. Mouse eaten boxes, literally. Yeah. There's yeah. My I'm, my Twitter's at Josh Strangehill. So Strangehill that is yeah that Strangehill why? because I wow. started it when Strangehill oh, High wow. started. Yeah, is because I had to get my a, a new email. Oh, I had a, this is so boring. I had a new e- needed a new email <laughs> to access the site where I could see what was being posted, what was being filmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I created a, a Strange Hill High America at Gmail. <laughs> and then, but then when I went on Twitter, I did Josh Strange Hill. Oh, that's and I so love funny. that so, so much that it's still like Oh, in my heart. So that's yeah. great. I love it. Well, I feel like we all have some more stuff to watch over the weekend after listening to this. Yes, mm-hmm. if you got, you got to find if you can find it on DVD or if you're in England, it's on BBC Player. I love it. And where do people watch the mullets? Because I was trying to find stuff and I saw like a clip oh my on God, YouTube. You, you can't find it. It's, it's, you can watch it if you sneak into my house and watch. The <laughs> Maybe Perfect. if you are in LA, you can go to the Radio and TV Library in Ooh. Beverly Hills, where oh. they have a record. I imagine of every TV I didn't show. Know they that. do. Well, yeah. That's a, that's a hot tip. Uh, that's a really good Before tip. the yeah. internet, that's where people would see old clips of old shows that are no wow. longer airing. Yeah. That's so cool. Go do that. And Julia, where can people find you? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. I'm at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You can find me at Allie Gertz and all the things. Uh, we have a book that you could buy called 100 Things the Simpsons Man Should Know and awesome Do Before book. They Die. As a <laughs> Simpsons person, I will plug it again. Thank you. It had probably... 50 things I did not know. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's amazing. My last name. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We're a member-supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to contribute. This episode was engineered by Jordan Cowling. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio, and our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Smell you later. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.